Again, I want to say good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, encourage you now, grab your Bibles and open them up to, or if you have an electronic copy of God's Word, turn it on to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. And if you don't have a paper copy or digital copy, uh, right there in the pew in front of you, we have a copy for you. We encourage you to, to grab it and go there with us to Proverbs 3. This morning, we're going to jump back into our series of Roadblocks to Spiritual Growth. Uh, this whole series is asking this question. What is it that is keeping me from growing to be the man or woman of God that I'm supposed to be? And how does God want to handle these things in my life? And so this morning, we're going to look first at Isaac Newton's first law of physics. that says this, that an object at rest will remain at rest unless it is compelled to change its state by the action of an external force, or an object that is moving will continue to move unless a larger external force slows it or stops it. Now, you're probably going, what in the world does Isaac Newton have to do with my spiritual growth? Well, in essence, everything. Because unless you are probably 1% of those Christians, okay, 1% that says, I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be in Christ, I'm exactly where God wants me, my spiritual life is great, then we have to be honest here. That means we're probably part of the 99% who go, praise God, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm still not what I ought to be. And so how does that change? Because if you and I keep doing the same thing the same way, we're going to get the same result. That's the definition of insanity. And so I think we kind of just need to go ahead and be politically incorrect and go, I'm probably insane when it comes to my approach to spiritual growth. But God doesn't want you to live there. See, Satan wants you to feel that guilt and that shame and to be beat down by your inadequacies. See, John 10 says that the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. But I, that being Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And so really the question becomes, God, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So what do you want to do in my life to get me on the path to where I need to be? And I I want to go ahead and just give you this. The one big thing is this, that relying on the Holy Spirit is the only way that you're going to grow in your faith. My proposition to you this morning would be this. Most Christians are not growing in their walk with God because they're trying to grow in their own power using their own ideas instead of a complete obedience and a reliance on the Holy Spirit. And that's not going to change until we become convinced that I cannot grow to become more like Jesus on my own. It's a work that God has to do in me and then through me. But let's look at it together. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? Very familiar verses here. Verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Let's pray. Father, it is... We just begin to open up your word. Lord, let us come with the understanding that this is 
your word and not man's thoughts or opinions about God. And so, Father, help us not to try to debate it or doubt it, but rather understand that everything you wrote in Scripture is for your glory and for our good. And so, Lord, would we have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth from your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Again, if you get nothing else out of the next 40 minutes, I hope you understand this, that relying on the Holy Spirit is the only way that you and I are going to grow in our faith. So you have the outline there in front of you. We're going to look at the, the why, the what, and the how. So let's begin with the what. What is it? Growing in our faith, it takes the, the what. Well, he begins by saying this, trust in the Lord. Now, the word trust here means to cast all of your hope, all of your faith, all of your abilities on Jesus. To trust him for everything. All my confidence has to be in, as he says, in the Lord. So I want to begin by saying this. Every person in here, there is one of two people that are on the throne of your life right now. Either God is on the throne of your life or you are. You're either calling the shots or God is. Now, we need to understand what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Okay? There is no such thing as a Sunday Christian. He is either the Lord of all of your life or he's not Lord of any of your life. And so we need to ask the question of ourselves as we begin to unpack God's word. Who is really the Lord of my life? Who is in control of me? You see, he says to trust in the Lord. Now, the next phrase says, and lean not unto your own understanding. You know, we live in a, in a world that says the answers are within you. Try your best. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Whatever cliche you want to come with, the world is saying you can fix your problems. And God's going, no, you cause your problems. He says we've got to learn to trust in the Lord. We, we've got to cast all of our hope and our faith and our dependence on him. Or we're going to try to fix it ourselves. And when you and I try to fix things, listen to what Proverbs 14 verse 12 says. It says, there's a way which seems right to man, but the end of those ways is death. If you and I come to the place where we are in control of our own life and we're making our own decisions, the Bible has promised that the way will be death. That's eternal separation from God. That it's not going to lead us closer to God. It's going to take us further and further from God. Now, we know that the book of Proverbs is primarily authored by a man by the name of Solomon. Now, he's the wisest man in all the world. Now, why was he the wisest? Because when he ascended to the throne, God said, Solomon, ask me anything. Ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, Lord, I I want wisdom. And and God honored that, and he gave him the wisdom. And, And some of that wisdom was also passed down to Solomon from his dad. Fact of the matter, if you go and read Psalm 37 that David writes, you're going to see almost the exact same words that Solomon wrote right here. That's why two weeks ago when we started this series, 
we said that if we're going to grow in our faith, it must begin at home. Mom and dad have to model it. Mom and dad have to teach it in order for the children to learn it and grow up with it there. And so Solomon is also passing down the wisdom that he had learned. He's passing these Proverbs down to his children because he wants them to grow in their faith and he wants them to know God the way he knew him. But for all of Solomon's wisdom, Solomon still made some pretty dumb choices. And I wonder how many of us in here, if we were just being honest, could say we understand that. Like we've known the things that we ought to do, and then we've done the exact opposite. You know, the greatest, I, I, there was a pastor uh, over in, in Bedford County uh, used to do a prayer meeting uh, with it, and Harry would be there. I'll never forget, he said, the, great, the greatest enemy is the inner me. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. My greatest enemy isn't anybody other than me. Because Satan knows my weaknesses. He knows these things about me. And and so he can lay those temptations in front of me, but don't you ever say the devil made me do it. The devil may have laid the trap, but you walked into it. Man, that's painful to do. Why? Why do we walk into those traps? Because we're leaning on our own understanding, not trusting in the Lord with all our heart. This is ultimately what we're getting at in all of this. Now, when Solomon says, trust in the Lord, he says, with all your heart. Now, the heart here is more than just that organ that is pumping blood to the rest of your body. See, the heart biblically is all of who you are. This is why, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, when, when somebody goes, you know, I got this decision to make and I'm not sure which one I ought to make. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, just go with your heart? Ever heard it? Can't tell you why that's a problem? Like Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's not going to make it on a Hallmark card. But, but we tell people, well, just trust your heart. No, trust the opposite. Because my heart's going to lie to me. Why? Because I'm going to want to do what I want to do. I'm going to want to take the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance will never get me into the presence of God. It will always keep me in the playground of Satan. And so when, when Solomon says, trust him with all your heart, what he's really getting at is saying how you view the world, how you interpret the events around you, your thoughts, your words, your attitudes, and your actions. They need to all be informed by what God says, not what you think is right. And, and so really... When you and I are coming up to certain decisions in our life, we need to really ask ourselves three questions. Number one, if I do this, who's going to get the glory for it? By the way, if it's ever going to give you glory, it's not from God. Number two, what is God trying to teach me from this? You know, God doesn't waste our pain. What's God trying to teach me through this situation? Number three, how can God use this situation in my life 
to point other people to him. You see, sometimes you're going to go through things and they're not for you. They're going to strengthen your faith. They're going to help you grow closer to God. But ultimately, God is trying to use you and your circumstances to reach somebody else for the glory of God and the gospel. And so we need to always try to view things through that lens of, okay, Lord, there's a purpose behind this. Help me to see it. Help me learn to trust you. You know, pro, uh, later on in Proverbs 4, Solomon would say this about our heart. He said, guard your heart, for out of it flow all the issues of life. What's in the well will always come up in the bucket. I'm not going to ask you to dime yourself out on this, okay? But have you ever been going along life and then all of a sudden something happens and, and you just instantly get like really angry maybe you say something that you shouldn't have said and then you go back to apologize to that person like listen I'm so sorry like that's not who I am no actually that's exactly who you are but man it's painful isn't it I mean we we have mastered it in the church today of putting on these masks Okay, I, I know that, this is, that our household is not the only household this happens to. Okay, you, you get up, you know it's Sunday morning. You oversleep because you reset the alarm like four times. You're like, oh man, it's, it's like three o'clock when I went into, to bed, Lord. I just need a little more sleep. Next time the alarm goes off, I'll get up, I promise. And you keep hitting that snooze and then all of a sudden you wake up like, I'm going to be late for church. And so you're running around. Your kids, you laid out their clothes the night before because you knew you were probably not waking up on time. And so you go into their room. You've already woken up. They're like, hey, we got to get ready for church. Let's go. And they're still like sitting there in nothing but maybe their pajamas if you're lucky. And you start screaming at them, we have to go. Get up. Get dressed. And they're going, I'm hungry. So am I. We don't have time. All right, so you eat that blessed food called uh, donuts on the way out. You get into the car. You are flying. Now, you know that it is a sin to speed, but you are praying the whole time going there, Lord, please let the Franklin County deputies be someplace else than the road I'm on. And you are flying. You slide in sideways, leaving skid marks into the church parking lot. You have been yelling at your spouse and your children the whole time, okay? You walk in that front door, and and I mean, the whole time you're walking across the parking lot, you are threatening your children. Don't you do anything that's going to embarrass me. I mean, you are just mad, and you hit that front door, and somebody goes, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You're laughing because it's funny but you laugh because you know it's right. We don't guard our hearts. We allow all these things into us that we know we shouldn't. But, well, it's funny to watch. You know, it's a great sitcom or it's a great movie or, you know, I like that song. And we allow it in and we're not guarding our hearts. And so Jesus said what comes out of your uh, mouth is flows from your heart, and that's what defiles you. Like, 
when we're just responding in the moment, when we're not carefully trying to cultivate an image of ourselves, then people see that mask off and they see who we really are. And that's why we create masks, because we don't want people to see us for who we are, because we know that we're sinful and we're messed up. And, and, and maybe right now, through all this laughter, maybe you're feeling beat down right now, and, and just all this guilt and stuff. Can I tell you something? Allow that sin to point you to the cross. Don't sit there and live in that sin and go, well, you know, I failed God so much, there's nothing God can do for me anymore. I'm just, I'm the worst Christian ever. No, you're the typical human being. See, if you could have it all together, if you could figure it all out, if you could be this model Christian, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come die on the cross. But Jesus came here knowing that you couldn't do it. And so allow your failures, allow your sins to point you to your need for Jesus this morning. Because the gospel isn't just for the sinner. The gospel is also for the saint, church. We need it as much as anybody else does. But again, our our heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. I mean, the bottom line is we will lie to ourselves 10 out of 10 times. I mean, if we're really honest, we know there's some stuff in my life that shouldn't be there. But we say, well, everybody's struggling with something. You know, yeah, I shouldn't do it, but that's not really a big of a deal. Well, I'm a Christian. I mean, I got to be, I, I go to church, you know, I do this, I do that. You know, one of the greatest realities is Satan comes as an angel of light. Satan wants to convince you of a lie because he knows if you hear the truth, it's going to change your life. Well, I go to church, I got to be saved. Yet Jesus clearly says, Matthew 7, not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, shall I enter the kingdom of heaven? But he that does the will of my Father. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out many demons in your name and do many miraculous things in your name? And I will look at them and say, well, depart from you, curses, for I never knew you. Like, did you hear what they were saying? Like, they were doing religious stuff. But they never had that relationship. They changed the reality of who they were by putting on a mask and denying it. So how can I really know if I'm trusting the Lord my God with all my heart? How can I really know if I am genuinely saved. Well, look at the first part of verse 6. It says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. It doesn't say in some of your ways. It says in everything you do acknowledge him. What does that mean? It means to think about him and do things that will honor him in everything you do. Acknowledge him. Think about him. Know what you're supposed to do and then do it. You know, we, we, a long time ago, they had those bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? It's great to ask that question, but it's pointless to ask it and then do the opposite. See, acknowledging Jesus in all that we do is saying, this is what I'm supposed to do And by the Holy Spirit's help, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the woman for, for you ladies in here that God has called me to do. See, James 1.22 says to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. See, if we come in and we hear biblical truth and we sing biblical truth, but it never changes the way that you and I live, then we're deceiving ourselves if we think that we're, that we're saved. See, worship is a verb, church. Worship is how we respond to all of who God is. And so are we acknowledging him in what we are doing? But, but why does any of this matter? Well, let's look at the why here. It's the very next part of verse 6. The last part, he says, He shall direct thy paths. I wonder how many people in here, if they were, again, just being a moment of honesty, have ever felt like physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually like they're on this big roller coaster. Like some days, man, you're up here and it's like Jesus sitting right beside you. You're talking like your best friends. You're praying, he's answering. And then some other days, it's like your prayers aren't going any higher than the ceiling. One day, man, you're happy. Next day, you're way down here. Part of that is pointing to the fact that we haven't learned to trust Jesus in all that we do yet. Because when he says and he will direct our paths or make our paths straight, what it means is our life is going to be steady and it's going to be well grounded instead of these extreme highs and these lows. Why? Because when I place all my trust in him, when I'm acknowledging him, then I know who he is. And that means he is a sovereign God who is in control of all things at all times. That there is nothing that is going to come into my life that God was not already aware of it long before it ever happened. It's going to ground me in the truth of who he is. And it's going to remind me that because he's in control, he's got a plan and there's a purpose. You've already heard me say this once, but God doesn't waste your pain. You know, we love to, to bring out Jeremiah 29, 11. All right, I call it coffee mugging verses. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Do you know what he said the verse before? When 70 years are completed in Babylon. Jesus was just telling Israel through the prophet Jeremiah that you are going to suffer for 70 years because of your disobedience. But don't worry, Israel, because I'm a sovereign God who's in control of everything. And I know that at the end of those 70 years, you are going to seek me. And you're going to seek me and you're going to find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so God will allow pain into our lives so that we will appreciate who he is so that we will learn to worship him so that we will learn to understand what really matters in life just gonna pull back the curtain here for a second those of you who know me know I'm a sports guy I'm a tech fan 
It's kind of hard right now. I, I, I now know what all you Virginia fans have been feeling for 14 years. Just kidding. Take it easy. Take it easy. But, but here's the thing, all right? Tr- truth moment, all right? I used to get really, really wrapped up into games. It would bug me if they lost. Not that I'm drawing a salary or anything of, of those nature, okay? I, I would love to yell at the TV as though the coach was going, oh, well, uh, wait a minute, what did you say, Justin? Oh, okay, let me do that. I would like to say I no longer do that, but I don't want to lie. But I want to tell you something. It doesn't take too many things happening in life to snap me back into reality. One of those moments was last year for us as as a family. We walked through one of the most difficult times I can ever recall. And I can tell you through, through that time as a family, I never once asked how did tech do? Because in that moment, God taught me and reminded me there are bigger things in life than sports. There's bigger things in life than your job, than your title, than your bank account. There's bigger things in life and you and I need to understand what really matters. We have to understand that God's got a plan and a purpose for it. See, James 1 says that we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials. All right, now I'm just going to be really honest. I've never been nor have I ever met the person who goes, hey, you know what, Jesus, I want to be really happy, so give me all the problems in the world I can handle. Never met that person. But what what was James thinking when he says count it all joy? He wasn't talking about be happy in that moment. He was talking about being joyful because of what it's going to produce, which is faithfulness and patience. But you and I, man, we live in America. We live in this instant gratification society. We want what we want, and we want it now. But what we don't understand is Suffering leads us to the Savior. Because when we find ourselves in a difficult time, what's the first thing we pray for when we find ourselves in a tough time? God, take it away. And God's going, why would I take away what I mean to bring you closer to me? That's what James meant by count it all joy. Because what you're experiencing right now, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't feel fair. But it's going to work out an ultimate plan and a purpose that glorifies God and is for your good. So we ought to pray not, Lord, take it away, but rather, Lord, help me to be faithful to you and to see you in this. Now, I'm just going to be really honest here. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't get a bit of what I'm talking about right now. Not because you're not smart, but because you've never experienced the joy that only Jesus can bring. My, my, my prayer for you this morning is that you're here, and you're hearing this, and you're going, I want that joy. 
I want to know what it means to, to be okay in everything that we do. And I mean, if we're really honest, most Christians don't have this joy. They're not living in it. It's available to them. But they're living and dying by the moment instead of understanding the eternity. See, their heart's not settled on who Jesus is. See, when I know who Jesus is, when I know that I'm his child, listen, I can face uncertain days and I can face difficult situations because I know that there isn't a storm in my life that is going to change how this ends. This story for a child of God is going to end with me falling at the knees of my king and worshiping him. And so death is not something to be feared or run from, but to be embraced because I don't have to suffer anymore. God in his glorious grace has saved me. I passed from, from death into life. You can't kill me. When I trust in the Lord with all my heart, I have this blessed assurance that it is well with my soul and I can face uncertain days because he lives. And that changes the ball game. But you gotta be settled on who Jesus is. He is either the Lord of your life or he's not. And maybe you're still sitting here going, man, this sounds great. But how? Here's the last part of the, la- the outline, the how. You've got to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. See, God, when you became a, a believer in Jesus Christ, he gave you the Holy Spirit inside of you. He indwells you, the Word says. And it's a gift because it proves that you belong to Jesus. It's a reminder that God is always with you in every situation. And he is your ever-present help in the time of need. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 26, But when the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring back to remembrance the things I have taught you. Remember Solomon said in Proverbs 35, Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't rely or lean on your own understanding. See, just like you can't save yourself by being a good person and doing good works, you're not going to grow yourself. It's the Holy Spirit in you and working on you and through you that's going to grow you. And the breeding ground for growth is always trials and difficulties. So how can you do this? I'll give you two quick things. Number one, pray for God's wisdom. You know, James 1.5 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. The context of James 1 started back up in verse 2 where he says, count it all joy. So what James is writing is when you find yourself suffering and you don't know why, ask God. Is it because of a sin? Because God will bring discipline into his children's lives because of sin. Is he trying to teach you something? Maybe it's not a personal sin. Maybe it's God's trying to teach you to depend on him more. Maybe it's for somebody else. That they can see God sustaining you through this and you're not losing your joy. And they're going to go, wow, you're different. Well, let me tell you why. And you get to share the gospel. Before making, those, before making a decision, 
We need to ask those three questions again. Who's going to get the glory? What's God trying to teach me? Who can God reach through this circumstance in my life? Pray, ask God what the truth of this is. The second way that we should apply Proverbs 3 is this. We've got to learn to get into the Word. I, I sincerely hope you believe that God still speaks today. The number one way that God speaks is through His Word. You know, there, there's not a week that goes by that somebody's not visiting, emailing, calling, and going, I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God anymore. And 100% of the time, this is always the question I ask them first. How much time are you spending in the Word? Because that's how God speaks the most. And so if we're not in His Word, we're less likely to hear His voice. So how much time are we in His Word? Because there's two important truths about God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 11. says, Thy word have a head in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to read Scripture so that we will know what sin is and how to avoid it. Number two, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy, uh, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As I pray and say, God, this is the decision I have before me. What's the right thing to do to bring you glory? His word will speak to that situation. Because it's still living and it's active. And so we got to spend time in God's word to know the path that we should go. Did you hear how John 14, 26 ended? He said, he will bring back to your remembrance the things that I've taught you. My question is, how can you be reminded of what you've never read to begin with? So if you're here as a, as a born-again believer and you feel like you're stuck in your relationship with God right now, you're just not growing, I don't encourage you, ask why. Don't ask me. Ask Father. Pour out your heart. Pour out your life before Him. He's not playing hide-and-seek with you. He wants you to know Him. And he wants to reveal himself to you. I'll encourage you, go back to the basics, prayer and Bible study. Man, it, it seems like these days we've created a program for everything. Yet we're missing the power of God in our churches more and more. Why? Because we're trying to do it instead of let God. Pray, study, and listen. But if you're here this morning... You've never accepted Christ. I, I want to say this first. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Maybe you have no idea why you came. But I'm grateful you did. Because I know you were brought here by divine appointment. God had something he wanted to say to you. And I promise you this is what he wants to say to you. You may think you're a good person but you don't belong to me yet. Yet. See, there's one way into the kingdom, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're being honest going, you know, I don't have joy in my life. I don't have peace. I have chaos and I have frustration. 
The answer is found at the cross. You don't have to have your life together because you're not going to. You don't have to have all the answers in life right now. Maybe you're going, my life is a train wreck. Okay. The answer is understanding that you are in sin because you've been trying to control your own life. But understanding that Jesus died in your place. And that regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have done, Jesus Christ will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will give you a new heart and a new life. And he's going to give you a new name. Son or daughter of the Most High King. But you have to surrender to his grace. Again, to that Christian who's struggling, you've got to surrender to that same grace. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray this morning? Father, in the quietness of this moment, we simply want to say thank you. Thank you that you have given us life. Thank you that you've given us the privilege to come and to worship you. Thank you for the privilege of, of having clothes on our back, gas in our cars, lights in the building. But most of all, thank you for an, an opportunity to hear of who you are. Father, I pray for that soul that has never surrendered to your grace. Understanding that they won't hear from God until they first recognize their need for God. Lord, I pray that this morning they see their need. But Father, I also know that many Christians are struggling right now. Father, I pray that we would allow our pain and our suffering and our difficulties to drive us to the cross. As David wrote, I will lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. So, Father, let us look to you for the answers that we need today. Move in our hearts, move in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to sing uh, another invitation song. Very simply, if you need to... Surrender your life to Christ. If you need to surrender the load that you're carrying, I'm going to encourage you just to come. I'll pray with you. You can pray up to the altar, pray at the front pew. Pray where you are. But I want to end with this. We haven't truly worshipped until we have responded to what we've heard about God.